Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, thank you again for joining me. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor of Compass. And we're in a message series called Pigs, Planks, and Pearls that is all about what Jesus had to say about judging other people. So the name of the series is going to make more sense as we continue on in it. But what is very clear is that we live in a culture that loves to judge other people. And we love to see other people get judged. I mean, we watch cooking shows where judges kick people out based on their cooking one at a time until they get to the winner, judging their cooking. We watch shows where judges vote people up or down based on the quality of their talent, which ultimately communicates that what you do is or isn't good enough, your ability is or isn't good enough. And then we have the granddaddy of all the judging shows in The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Because what's being judged is literally your appeal as a human being. And look, we we vote for social media posts with likes and shares or with nasty comments and angry emojis. We rate the quality of restaurants and businesses on Yelp. And we judge the attractiveness of people on dating apps by swiping right or left. And all of this stems from this desire that we have deep down in us to judge and condemn other people for what they think, how they look, how they live, or how they're different from us. So last week we started this whole series off and we looked at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And this is what he said. He said, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So we talked about what judging and condemning others actually is. Like when we do it, what are we really doing? And it's this, it's the act of climbing up onto God's chair and replacing his judgment with our own. Because here's what we think. We think, well, God isn't punishing this person enough for their sin. And maybe he hasn't driven home to them how bad they really are. And if God isn't sitting in the seat of judgment the way he's supposed to, then somebody should. So it might as well be me. And so we climb up into God's chair and we judge people for their actions, their attitudes, for their morality and their lifestyle. But all we're doing when we do this is that we are replacing the love of Jesus with our own arrogance. And that's how we started this last week. And and today what I want to do is I want to wrestle with a question that most people, and this is a question I think all religious people have asked in relation to judging others. And that question is this, what if I'm right? What if I'm right about that person being bad or wrong? What if I'm right about that person's wrongness? I'm right about their sin, about their bad life choices. This question plagues religious people because we have spent a good portion of our lives discerning between right and wrong so that we can choose to live the right way and do the right things ourselves. And and honestly, isn't it wrong to tolerate sin? Or at the very least, wouldn't it be wrong to not call it out when we see it in other people's lives? I mean, what happens when someone, especially someone in the church, is sinning but doesn't realize it? Or even worse, What if they don't think that what they're doing wrong is even sin? What if they think it's not sin? 
Shouldn't good religious people stand up for righteousness and call out that person's sin for what it is? I mean, I can agree that judging and condemning others is wrong if they aren't really doing anything wrong, but what if they're really doing something that's worthy of judgment? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus had to say as he continued his teaching on judging others in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 3. This is what Jesus continued to say. He said, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So, I mean, this is a familiar passage that a lot of people have heard. Maybe you've seen cartoons of this, um, you know, political cartoons. It's been used a lot. But I think the first thing we need to realize is that Jesus is hilarious, okay? The visual that he paints of a person with a giant log sticking out of their eye, trying to help someone get a little tiny speck out of theirs, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Jesus knows it. And his audience knew it when they were hearing it. I mean, it would be like telling someone they have a piece of spinach in their teeth while you have a stinking salad bar in your mouth. Or asking someone to take off their dirty shoes at the door while you're walking around in boots covered in dog poop. I mean, the analogies write themselves. And they do it because Jesus' point is that trying to point out someone else's sin, to judge them and condemn them for it, is just stupid. It's ridiculous because for whatever amount of stuff in their life that there is to be judged for, you have plenty of your own junk to deal with. And honestly, I don't, I don't really need to spend much time on this because Jesus said it so well and so clearly. Any act of judging others is by default an act of hypocrisy. So deal with the junk in your own eye. Don't worry about the speck in someone else's. But there's still something that feels unresolved in this because there is still a speck in that person's eye. I mean, regardless of what's in mine, they do have something wrong. So shouldn't we do something about it? Shouldn't we say something about it? I mean, even Jesus addresses it here at the end of Matthew 7, 3 through 5. And he says, first, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So wouldn't what Jesus here indicate that even though we are to deal with our own issues first, that there is some responsibility we have in dealing with others? People who are very religious, like super religious people, church people, they often feel an urgency to figure this part out. And, and we may ask ourselves questions like this, like, what if the speck in their eye is actually a plank? What if it's a sin that isn't just a speck but a log? And is it really love to not say anything? Is that loving? Is that right? And what does it look like to help them with the speck in their eye? I mean, what, what at the end of the day, what is that? Does, does all of this mean that when I'm righteous enough, that that's when I can start judging others? Or that if I reach a point of religious excellence, that my condemnation of others is okay? Now to that, I would say that's doubtful because the Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus' day were super devout, totally religiously pure, 
And Jesus shredded those guys. So what does he mean? And I think the best way to understand this is to look at another moment where Jesus was given the opportunity to condemn someone who clearly deserved it. And looking at that, we can see what he did and what he said. So let's flip over to John chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. And this says this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law, the religious people, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. So, now this is probably a familiar story, even if you aren't a Christian and you haven't really been involved with the church. Uh, but let me help you understand some context, okay? First of all, the Pharisees were always trying to trick Jesus into saying something that would make him lose his popularity, right? Because they hated it. But the first thing I want you to see is that according to centuries of Jewish law, written down in Jewish scriptures, adultery was a sin and a crime punishable by death. Look at what the Mosaic Law says in Deuteronomy 22.22. If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. They must die. It must happen. This command is found several times in the Old Testament in the Law of Moses. So we know that Adultery was a big deal sin in Jewish culture. I think we also need to acknowledge the fact that this woman was caught in the act. Okay, these religious leaders weren't responding to gossip or a rumor. Her adultery was established fact. Not only that, but for a woman to commit adultery, she had to be married. Because in some strange loophole, a married man having sex with an unmarried woman wasn't legally adultery. But, but it means this, that she wasn't just violating her partner's marriage. She was violating her own marriage. Two marriages, two families being broken and violated. And putting aside the fact that it appears that only the woman was being punished for this act, we can all acknowledge that what she did is really, really bad. And I want to point out one other thing. She is not coming to Jesus to be forgiven for her sin. Right? I mean, she didn't seek Jesus out to become one of his followers. She's not trying to make right the wrongs of her past. Her circumstances brought her to him. This is not a matter of repentance. She got caught. She got caught doing something really bad. So that's the background. That's the context. Our story continues in verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. No one knows what Jesus was writing in the dust on the ground. I mean, 
People have said he could have been listing the sins of the men in the crowd, or maybe he was writing the names of the women who they had fooled around with. I mean, he could have been drawing a Garfield cartoon, but what he was writing was less important than the powerful statement that he made when he said, let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone. You can condemn this woman for her sin, but only if you have none of your own. And one by one, they dropped their stones and slipped away, leaving only Jesus and the woman behind. The story continues in verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So there's some things that I have to address that are in here and and that we have to look at to understand Jesus, to understand the way he lived, the way he thought, and to understand his heart on judgment. And the first thing is this, is that Jesus puts people before religious systems. Just by looking at the Old Testament in the strictest, strictest and clearest way, we can see the sinfulness of adultery and the penalty for it are both black and white. Adultery deserves condemnation and that requires death. That's scripture. And a clear-eyed view of this story would also tell us this, that Jesus violated scripture. In refusing to follow Mosaic law, Jesus violated a direct command. And even if, even if this happened today, fundamentalists would be outraged that this woman's sin would go unpunished. I mean, how are people supposed to know it's wrong if we don't make an example of her? And I mean, this is a slippery slope. If we don't follow the letter of the law on this, then we're, we won't follow it on other things too. But Jesus put the good of this woman over the good of the religious system. He put her good over the protection of the religious system's rules and regulations. It is a big deal that Jesus overruled the law of Moses for the good of a human being. And it's an example that we need to think through in our current culture as followers of Jesus in the church. Second thing we need to see is that Jesus didn't come to condemn people. Look at this verse again. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your, your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now I'm gonna point out something that might be a little uncomfortable for you. And it's this. Christians love the part of this verse where Jesus says, go and sin no more. I think, honestly, that's like our favorite verse in the whole Bible. Because we, we're like, well, I mean, he didn't let them punish her like the law said, but he made sure to tell her that she should stop sinning. We take this verse like it's a personal mandate in every interaction we have with people who don't follow Jesus or who follow the Bible the way that we do. Like every time we talk to someone who doesn't live up to our moral standard, that we need to like speak out, like, you know, say, hey, thanks for coming over for dinner. Man, the pie you bought, you brought us was so great. And hey, buddy, stop sinning. It's not good. It's as if this little like five word verse is the loophole that allows us to keep judging and condemning people 
simply because Jesus said it to this woman in this situation. But listen, go and sin no more is not the main part of what Jesus said. Do you know what is? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Neither do I. If anyone could have condemned her, it was Jesus. He had never sinned, so he could have picked up a rock and stoned her. He should have, if you hold to a fundamentalist view of the Old Testament scriptures, like the Pharisees. But he didn't. He defended her against the condemnation of others and against the legal punishment for what she'd done. He stood between her and her accusers, and he didn't do it so he could tell her to stop sinning. He did it to tell her that she is not condemned by him. And don't just take my word for it. John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Let me ask you this. If that woman went and kept sinning, what do you think Jesus' response to her would be? Do you think her response to her would be any different? Do you think there's a point at which Jesus would look at her and say, hey, enough is enough. Now it's time for me to condemn you and let the rocks fly because you didn't go and stop sinning. You realize she never repented. She never confessed. She never asked forgiveness. She didn't even acknowledge that what she was doing was wrong. And it doesn't matter that she didn't. Jesus' act of love had nothing to do with what she did and everything to do with who he is. He didn't ask her to repent of her sin before he stuck up for her. He withheld judgment from a woman who deserved judgment Because he wants reconciliation, not retribution. And that's how his followers should act too. So let's ask, what if someone is wrong and deserves to be judged? What if they have a speck in their eye for real? How do we navigate situations within the church where there are people who have specks and toothpicks and planks and and logs in their eyes? Well, Jesus would say, focus first on what's in your own eye and don't condemn anyone else for what's in theirs. And Christian, if your favorite Bible verse is go and sin no more, I would suggest that perhaps Jesus would have you quote that verse to yourself and leave him to be the one who says it to others. In this story of a woman caught in adultery, we see one of the most beautiful acts of mercy ever documented. We see a God who loves his people so much that he's willing to suspend the demands of his own justice to see them made whole. And we see this mirrored in the cross. We see a God who loves his people so much he's willing to take the demands of his justice and judgment onto himself to prevent us from having to feel the weight of it and to allow us to experience his love uninterrupted by condemnation. And he calls us to take up our cross and live that love and mercy out in our relationships with others, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, 
and in our church. We know that the way in which we judge others is the measure with which we will be judged. And now we have seen this path laid out for how do we respond when someone might be worthy of judgment and what is our role in it? And Jesus' answer is this. We don't have a role in it. Judgment belongs to him. Our role is to live like he lived, to think like he thought, and to do what he taught, to extend mercy, grace, and love in this world. Condemnation should never be something that flows from the heart and mouth of a follower of Jesus. So church, let's live like Jesus. Let's be like Jesus. Let the mercy and grace that flows out of us point people to the cross of Christ, where Jesus brought ultimate forgiveness, ultimate wholeness, where Jesus truly sought reconciliation rather than retribution. And let's never use the phrase, go and sin no more, as if, it, as if those are words that should flow from our lips instead of his. And let's instead use the words of Jesus, where we say, neither do I condemn you. Join us next week. We're going to take a deep dive into a picture of judging others and God's heart for it. And it's going to be great. So I'll see you then. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.